Welcome in everyone to the Talking Tide podcast. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television, along with Travis Ryer, the senior analyst at BamaOnline.com and the daily radio host of Southern Fried Sports at 100.9 FM in Tuscaloosa. Our Twitter feed, Talking underscore Tide. And of course, you can get the Talking Tide podcast at our web host at Podbean.com. Also, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher and TuneIn. It's uh, the Tuesday nighter, we'll call it. We typically recap Saturday games on Sunday night with a Sunday nighter, but uh, after a national championship game on a Monday night, we're with you on a Tuesday night recapping a national championship victory for the Crimson Tide, resounding one over the Ohio State Buckeyes down at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens, Florida. The final score, 52-24, to 24, the Crimson Tide, uh, takes care of business and big offensive passion for national championship number 18. And, and Travis, uh, uh, your thoughts on the way this game kind of kind of and uh, really was taken over by Devontae Smith. Surprise, surprise, early and often. Kind of went the way the Alabama offense wanted it to go, right? So pretty much like the previous 12 games, except this was just on the biggest stage in all of the sport, and you kept wondering as the season moved along, which of these teams is going to step forward defensively and prove problematic for Steve Sarkeesian and Mac Jones and Devontae Smith and Najee Harris. And Chase, it really never happened. It just did not. And, you know, the Alabama offense, five of its first six possessions uh, on Monday night, get into the end zone, touchdowns, a lone possession in which they didn't, you had the fumble, the sack fumble from Mac Jones that you know, was beneficial to Ohio State. They were able to turn that into a red zone touchdown, which tied the game at 14. But I thought one of the bigger moments, too, right after the Jordan battle ejection there in the second quarter for the targeting foul, uh, that put Ohio State in a position in which they were trying to stay on serve, essentially, which is what it feels like a lot of times when you watch this Alabama team because you you can't afford to have your serve broken because that's all the daylight this offense needs to get you down a couple of scores, and then it's impossible to come back. But uh, Alabama forced a field goal. You know, after the targeting ejection, uh, you know, that, that kept Alabama in front by four. They go back down not only score and get in the end zone uh, on that next possession, but then do it again to get that 18-point lead going into the break with the ball coming out. And at that point, you felt pretty good about where this team was at on Monday night. Yeah, no doubt about it. A 28-point explosion for the Crimson Tide in the second quarter. So they uh, they go to the half up 35-17, to 17, take care of business from there in the second half. And, uh, Mac Jones with a, a huge performance once again. He ends up with five touchdown passes for this one, uh, 36 out of 45, 464 yards, almost half of that to Devontae Smith, who just ate Ohio State alive, ate him up short, ate him up long, ate him up every way you could, really. Uh, 12, 215 and three were the numbers on Smith just in the first half. And unfortunately, uh, he. Uh, dislocates or breaks or somehow busts a finger uh, on the first target of the second half for him. It was an incomplete pass 
uh, second or third play for Alabama from scrimmage of the second half, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, Alabama managed to move the ball from that point forward. Uh, but you definitely felt like when, when Devontae Smith was out of there and, Javon, and of course, Jalen Waddle was hobbled. We'll get to Waddle here in a minute. Uh, and, and even at one point, Mac Jones was a little gimpy. You kind of felt like the Alabama offense was was operating minus a wheel or two. Uh, and yet they still were able to generate enough with the ground game, generate enough maybe with the short passing game, hit Billingsley here, hit Bolden there, and uh, at least still keep eating clock. That was absolutely the case, especially in the second half. Alabama with a 10-minute edge in time of possession ended up, I believe, somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 minutes. And look, for Alabama, we haven't talked about time of possession, it seems like, since, what, about 2008? Yeah. Or in all seriousness, certainly not in the last two or three years. But you're right. You know, once you got down and you didn't have uh, Smith available to you, uh, you know, I thought Mac Jones showed you that when needed, uh, he could spread the football around, keep moving the chains, uh, efficiency on offense maintained. And look, Brian Robinson, let's give this guy a lot of credit there in the third quarter and in the second half in general. Najee Harris took the big shot on the sort of slip screen that they tried to get him inside the five. And uh, he takes the big shot. Brian Robinson, not sure if it was in relation to that blow, but Brian Robinson gets an opportunity there in the second half. He gives you 69 rushing yards on 10 attempts. And uh, you're able to lean on that offensive line. You, you kind of positioned yourself all season to get into a situation in the second half of a game like Monday night where if you needed to, you could put it more on the offensive line in the run game, and they were able to do that in the second half. What about Jalen Wilder, Travis? Of course, he's been had been out since October 24th uh, when he fractured a bone in his ankle on the opening kickoff against Tennessee. Uh, misses, obviously, an awful lot of time. Comes back in the national championship game. Clearly not right. Kind of a, a limp in his gait a little bit, I think, in pregame. Uh, and then following his first reception of the game, which was a pretty big play for Alabama, converted a third down on a little shallow cross uh, that he ended up breaking into a pretty big play. Uh, he hobbles off to the sideline even worse after that catch. I kind of thought he'd be done after that. He kept he kept going out there, ended up with three catches and and, uh, you know, a gutty performance for him. A lot of people wondering why Nick Saban and, and the training staff had him out there. Yeah, apparently, as we had heard in the lead up to the game, he had been cleared medically. But as we both know, and as we've talked about in the past, in various situations, being cleared medically and being able to go uh, a lot of times are two entirely different things and as much as anything in a situation like that you worry about a guy's ability to protect himself I will say this it seemed like it was more of an issue for him post play than during the play because you still saw a lot of the same kind of burst not to the extent that we saw from him pre-injury but it, it seemed like once the play was over uh, that's when he had a little bit of a hot foot you know that's when uh, the, the pain sort of came into play. But as far as his performance uh, and how he was able to you know, carry out what he needed to do uh, during the play, you didn't really detect much. But 
give the guy a lot of credit because he's got a lot more on the line than about 95% of the guys on the field Monday night. Uh, and the competitor that he is and understanding the kind of effort he put into trying to get to that target date of January the 11th and see some type of role in that game, uh, he managed to pull it off. Yeah, it was cringeworthy. I will tell you that at times seeing him out there. Uh, but it also showed you once again that you know this team, in addition to be in in addition to being uh, extremely talented, uh, had some some real dudes, some some real alpha types when it came to competitors. You mentioned earlier about break and serve. Uh, with an Alabama offense that's so productive and, and as an as an Alabama opponent, you just can't get down a couple scores. I thought it was pretty noteworthy, Travis, along those lines that on the offensive side for Alabama, uh, you see him go uh, for a couple of fourth downs on their first two possessions of the game. One kind of a no-brainer, fourth and one uh, from the goal line or just outside the goal line for the touchdown to Najee Harris to put him up uh, seven and nothing. Uh, but then they do it again with a fourth down and short around the Ohio State 10-yard line on their next possession. Najee Harris converting that one as well, if I'm not mistaken. Alabama then goes in for a touchdown to go up 14 nothing. Kind of a signal, I think. You know, I'm not so sure Alabama. I'm not sure so sure Nick Saban doesn't take three points uh, five or six years ago. Uh, but with the offense that he's got and knowing the pressure that he can put on other teams with it. Uh, he, he's down there for seven points on both of those drives. Yeah, the offensive line on both those occasions did a nice job. The touchdown, Josh McMillan enters the game there at that fullback position and really did a good job on a, on, on a lead block. And kind of the, the other one was more of just a straight-up, old-fashioned ISO play, I believe, in which he was involved as well. So uh, you got a 230-pound back, and – you know, you look at Najee Harris's touchdown totals over the last two seasons, that kind of tells you he has a nose for getting the needed yardage. So you feel good about handing him the football in that situation. And, uh, yeah, they were two for two on those fourth downs and, and both obviously led to touchdowns. Other side of the ball for Alabama defensively against Ohio State, uh, Justin Fields. Didn't look very comfortable in the first half. Made a few more plays in the second half. Obviously not enough. He only completed about 50% of his passes. He was 17 out of 33 uh, on the night. Ended up being Ohio State's leading rusher with uh, nearly 70 yards on the ground. Broke about half of those on a single play. Uh, Your thoughts, Travis, on Alabama's defense on this night. And uh, uh, the way Ohio State, frankly, was was handicapped a little bit. Obviously, uh, COVID knocked out a pretty good handful of Buckeyes before this game. They lose Trey Sermon right off the bat first play. They lose Wyatt Davis for roughly a half. He's one of their best offensive linemen. Uh, so definitely a shorthanded Ohio State offense. It was. They were fortunate to have Master Teague back, actually, at the running back position with Sermon going out and Teague did some nice things, especially in the first half. I believe his first 10 carries went for 64 yards. He had a couple of touchdown runs. And uh, so he picked up the slack, but obviously going into that game, if you had told Nick Saban, Pete Golding, the defensive brain trust for this Alabama team, 
when it's over, Justin Fields is going to throw more passes than Ohio State is going to have rush attempts. You would have liked Alabama's chances because uh, this was an Ohio State team as explosive as it was against Clemson and as great as Fields was against Clemson in that game. Uh, figured they were going to need another big night from the rushing perspective. Ohio State came into this game uh, with over 200 yards rushing in each of its seven contests. Alabama limited Ohio State to 147 on the ground. You'll take that. And then from a passing perspective, you're right. Fields just didn't look to be in sync throughout the game. Had a couple of really nice throws. Um you know, the touchdown pass to Garrett Wilson on sort of the slot fade was a beauty. Uh, but other than that, you know, he throws it 33 times and amasses 194 yards. That's under six yards per attempt. Meanwhile, you got Mac Jones on the other side averaging in excess of 10 yards per pass attempt. So uh, it worked out pretty well for the Alabama defense. Uh, you know, you had an injury situation on the back end, too, for Alabama. Uh, when you talk about Malachi Moore missing his second straight game chase, and that put Brian Branch under the gun. And look, I don't think it was any secret that Ohio State was going to attack the true freshman slot corner, and that's exactly what happened. He gave up the one touchdown to Garrett Wilson, but he also had three pass breakups in the game chase. So I give Brian Branch a lot of credit for stepping up to the challenge as best as he could. Yeah, he made a really nice play on a ball that uh, uh, went to the replay booth. As a matter of fact, I think on the yeah. uh, on one of those three breakups, and uh, he's definitely a guy that Alabama is going to be him and more both. I, I think bode well for Alabama's secondary, uh, certainly in the middle of the field uh, for twenty twenty one. Obviously, uh, the corners uh, could be a little different story. Patrick Sertan, you figure he moves on. Maybe Job, who knows. Uh, up front for Alabama, Christian Barmore, another big night. This guy just seemed to get better and better throughout the season. And, and really, uh, by the end of the year, I think he was had become the dominant force that a lot of people thought he could be uh, last year. Ends up with Alabama's only sack of the game. But you know what? He got, he got his finger on a couple passes. Um, it, it, he, he harassed Fields uh, pretty effectively. Yeah, Alabama only had one sack in the game, but I don't think that accurately illustrates the heat that they were able to get on fields. They got around him and got in his face a, a pretty good bit. And, you know, I thought Barmore, Barmore played a heck of a game. Yeah, he did. Definitely helped himself if he makes that decision to go ahead and make the jump to the National Football League with the way he played over the last six or seven games, especially of the season. And you're right, there were some plays – uh, that didn't go down to sacks and really some quarterback pressures that based on the official scoring, you didn't see show up in the box score. But Will Anderson on one particular play there, I want to say in the fourth quarter, definitely got pressure, uh, nearly had a sack of uh, Justin Fields. And it wasn't credited with it officially, but it was certainly a quarterback hurry from him. And, you know, Chris Allen, uh, continue to do some nice things off the edge. And I thought it was big right off the gate in producing that three and out. You know, Fields is looking to to bail the pocket, and he's got some room to work. And Allen does a nice job of staying in the play after coming off the edge in the pass rush 
gets a little bit of a shoestring tackle on fields and stops him short of a first down on that initial uh, that initial possession for Ohio State, that forces the punt. And again, the breaking of serve early, which puts Alabama in a situation to go down, get a seven nothing, seven to nothing lead, and again, know that they're going to get the ball coming out to start the third quarter. Putting this national championship in perspective, Travis, is not really an easy thing to do because this season obviously was unlike any other. Uh, with the pandemic, with a changed schedule, 10 SEC games, you, you, you're playing uh, from week to week. You don't know what's going on. You've got Nick Saban himself uh, getting a false positive the week of the Georgia game, then turning around and having to uh, sit out one a little bit later in the season. Alabama definitely did not have nearly as many problems with positive tests as a lot of teams did. Uh, around college football, nevertheless, still an extremely difficult task to go through some of these disruptions, even absent a ton of positive tests, uh, and they navigate this season undefeated. How do you how do you put a bow on, on, on this team, Travis? Given what they went through, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's fair, really, to ever compare this national championship team with any other because they went through something that, that no other team had to. I think it's the, I think it's the most impressive national championship for Alabama of my lifetime because of everything you outlined, trying to navigate a pandemic and give Alabama a lot of credit for being proactive and taking additional steps above and beyond what was mandated by the Southeastern conference going to additional testing during the week uh, you know, adding to the accountability that the players had on their plate uh, as a part of that, and uh, the league schedule being what it is. I mean, Alabama beat 11 of the potential 13 opponents it could play, and the two that it didn't play were Vanderbilt and South Carolina. So this wasn't a situation where Alabama ducked, say, Georgia, or ducked LSU, or Auburn, or you know, one of the teams that you sort of look at, Texas A&M, uh, as being a, uh, you know, a, a, a chief contender uh, in a divisional race or even for the overall title and getting to Atlanta. So uh, strength of schedule, playing 13 straight Power 5 opponents, um, the individual accomplishments, the most decorated team I can think of when you look at the Heisman Trophy, the Bolitnikoff, the Davy O'Brien, the Outland Trophy, uh, hell, even the long snapper, Thomas Fletcher, won his version of the Heisman for, for snappers. So, uh, you know, you had the Joe Moore Award for the offensive line. Steve Sarkeesian wins the Broyles as the top assistant coach in college football. Uh, you can look at just about any box you want, Chase, uh, and this team checked it. And, you know, obviously more of an identity on the offensive side of the ball, but that's where sort of the eras that you're talking about come into play and where it becomes a little bit difficult, a great deal difficult. And, and in some instances, maybe not entirely fair to, to do it. And, and because of that, an exercise in futility uh, in some ways as well. But for me, it's at the top. And, you know, I guess you could put one or two more in all of college football with it. Uh, but I don't have any above it, I guess is the way I would put it. Uh, 
some real validation too for that 2017 Alabama signing class. So many players yeah. that were key parts of this national championship team, a part of that signing class. Uh, a couple of those players, of course, already departed uh, from Alabama, but uh, a real core, especially I think on the offensive side of the ball, uh, coming in in that 2017 class. No doubt. Uh, book ended it with uh, national championships and kind of amazing when you think back to that second half of the Georgia game four years ago and a lot of the guys you saw out there on Monday night were a big part of that comeback against the Bulldogs, whether it was Alex Leatherwood at left tackle, whether it was Najee Harris at running back, uh, Devontae Smith, obviously, in that Georgia game. Um, you know, it, it, it was it, it, it was just a heck of a run. When you talk about recruiting classes under Nick Saban, I guess you got to look at 2008, the Julio class that also had a Heisman Trophy winner in it in Mark Ingram. Uh, and this 2017 class is, is two that you would put right there at the very top. Six national championships in the last 12 years for Nick Saban. He's been at Alabama, of course, for 14 years. And in 14 years, Travis, he still hasn't gone three straight years without winning a natty, which is which yeah. is just unbelievable. Uh, and by that math, that'll tell you that everybody he's signed uh, since he got to Alabama, including the three and outs, at some point they, they'd have a ring. Yeah, you know, and a big part of this team was the, the maturity of it and, and those seniors from that 2017 class. But not just 2017, you know, the fifth-year senior presence uh, on this team. Guys like Deontay Brown, guys like Chris Owens, who stepped up big at the center position after Landon Dickerson, another fifth-year senior, uh, went out. So, uh, you know, kind of, a, kind of an exception. Uh, also with this team and that you did have as many sort of fourth year juniors like Mac Jones, fourth year seniors. Uh, and then also the, the presence of some very important fifth year guys. Yeah. Looking ahead a little bit, Travis to the 2021 season for the Crimson Tide, obviously the first order of business for Nick Saban will be to find a new offensive coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian, introduced as the new head coach at Texas just a day after winning the national championship for Alabama. Uh, Bill O'Brien's name, of course, has been bandied about pretty strongly here in the last few days. A lot of people expect uh, to hear uh, Bill O'Brien's name as, as the replacement. And, of course, he's got some pretty significant ties to Bill Belichick, so not surprising at all that Nick Saban is at least uh, entertaining that possibility. Uh, your thoughts on that on that possibility? Yeah, that's been blowing. That's been uh, rumbling pretty heavily here for about a week with Bill O'Brien and the time that he has already spent in Tuscaloosa. And you mentioned the ties with Saban and uh, you know Belichick, and and the same with O'Brien. And look. You know, you want to try to sell a guy in recruiting. How about someone that's worked uh, intimately with both Tom Brady and also uh, Deshaun Watson? That that should sell pretty well. And, um, you know, it's just interesting, again, to, to see a guy with that type of resume, head coach at Penn State, head coach of the Houston Texans, 
uh, but also an extensive coordinator background. All you know, the new uh, the New England Patriots, as we know, uh, he's done it on the college level at places like Georgia Tech and also Duke. So uh, yeah, it makes sense. It's one of the hires that if you if you connect the dots and consider the backgrounds of all the parties involved, um, you know, you, you you just wonder here, as you know, in the last few days with the continued fallout in the National Football League, still some dominoes that are falling. So not quite ready uh, during this time to, to ever say anything's done until it's done. Uh, but it's definitely been trending that way with Bill O'Brien. Of course, we're about a week, a little less than a week, I think, from the deadline for underclassmen to declare for the NFL draft. Let's assume, Travis, just a little quick speculation here for 2021 that Alabama has a rough go of it with with early exits. Uh, the the Waddles and, and the Sertans and some of the more obvious ones, you assume they're gone. Uh, let's go ahead and assume that a couple of the fringe guys are go, going to we're kind of worst case scenario for Alabama uh, on that front. What do you see coming back uh, in 2021 leadership wise, production wise, I guess, starting on offense? Uh, if Mac Jones decides to go ahead and go out, you're looking at Bryce Young coming back with uh, a John Mechie and a Jaleel Billingsley, uh, probably two of his certainly primary targets in the passing game. Yeah, and then you start trying to make sure you can develop this freshman class of wide receivers as best as you possibly can. And they just signed a stellar group uh, to come in here also as as 2021 guys. And, you know, you've already got some of the early enrollees that have moved in on campus. So, you know, we'll see how that works out throughout the offseason. But you know, I think the, the biggest key still starts up front. And that's not to say that Mac Jones isn't right there with those guys. But, man, when you talk about your starting center, who was a Remington Trophy Award winner, uh, you talk about your starting left tackle, who won the outland. <laughs> they won. So, you know, those are two pieces right there. Deontay Brown at left guard. Uh, the depth that the luxury you had with Chris Owens. Now, look. Some of these guys, maybe even as six-year seniors, possibly uh, could come back. I don't think that's the case with Deontay Brown, Leatherwood, Lane, and Dickerson, obviously, uh, but we'll see. And so uh, that's where it starts. And then, you know, the playmaking production of Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, you know, guys like Jace McClellan, you know, how much can he step forward in his second year at running back? Trey Sanders, can he come back once again from another injury? Um, you know, and then as you said, depth at wide receiver and Billingsley is a, is a nice building block there as a sort of hybrid type, how you can use him from the tight end position, but no doubt about it. Uh, offensively, you got a lot, a lot to replace on that side of the ball and you're going to do it with a new offensive coordinator. Evan Neal, get a look at that left tackle spot. You think, or they, they like him on the right side for next year. I would think that would be the natural progression, especially if he can continue to make strides in the strength and conditioning aspect of things. Um, Yeah. Uh, Now, look, you know, they've got a couple of true freshmen coming in here, and we've seen true freshmen in the past jump in at a tackle spot. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it'll be left tackle, but J.C. Latham, a five-star freshman on the way, 
Um, Tommy Brockermeyer, a five-star freshman on the way from the state of Texas. So I won't be surprised if there is a true freshman involved in that tackle mix, but I would think it'll be Evan Neal uh, initially, at least, that's given the, the, the first consideration there to, to jumping over to the left side. The Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can find us on Twitter at Talking underscore Tide. We want to thank a couple of sponsors really quickly before we move on and talk about a, a very hot Alabama basketball team. Going to start by telling you about North River Dental Associates, the finest dental facility in all of Tuscaloosa. It's run by Dr. Jack Smalley, a former Alabama football player. He's got a great staff of professional dental hygienists who do fantastic work. Not going to hurt those gums at all when you go in there for those routine cleanings. They're going to get you in and out quickly. I was in and out less than a half an hour uh, just about a week ago for my most recent cleaning. You got to get in there twice a year like you're supposed to. You only got one set of teeth. Take care of them. North River Dental Associates does it like nobody else. Whatever kind of dental work you need. Laser dentistry, teeth whitening services, endodontics, dental implants. You name it, they do it at North River Dental you can make an appointment at NorthRiverDentist.com. You can give them a call at 752-3506. The waiting room, people barely sit in there. I'm telling you, they get you in and out in no time, which is uh, hard to come by in the healthcare business these days. No question about it. They're also great dealing with those insurance people, which can also be a hassle at times. No hassle at all at North River Dental Associates. I'm going to tell you about Southern Ale House, also out there in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa. And look, it's chilly out these days, isn't it? It is definitely winter here in West Central Alabama. And one of the great aspects of Southern Ale House is given the particular day, you could find on that specials board maybe the brisket chili which is outstanding. Maybe it's going to be the Brunswick stew, which as we talked about here on the podcast is absolutely pops approved. Great, great stuff. Comfort food galore, comfort meals galore. You're going to feel great about your visit to Southern Ale House, whether you choose one of those outstanding sandwiches, Yardbird chicken sandwich, any of the great uh, burgers. The pimento cheeseburger is out of this world. You could try the plate dinners, the plate meals. The meatloaf is absolutely tremendous. Those biscuit plates, definitely give those a shot if you haven't already. At Southern Ale House, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North. Also want to tell you about Heat Pizza Bar right there in downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Always a great time to get by Heat Pizza Bar. Uh, We're doing this pot on a Tuesday, and Tuesday's, Heat Pizza Bar makes Tuesday one of my very favorite days of the week because on Tuesdays, you get those Thai chicken pizzas for just 7 bucks starting at 6 o'clock. But they've got specials throughout the week uh, on those outstanding pizzas, those outstanding pies there at Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Also bar specials throughout the week. All day happy hour on Sunday. So if you're looking for a place to maybe spend a little time for that divisional playoff round in the NFL playoffs this weekend, 
no place better than Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in the Twitter feed, talking underscore Tide. And we're going to talk some Alabama basketball right now, Travis. The Crimson Tide uh, on fire, frankly, in the Southeastern Conference. They remain undefeated in league play uh, with a resounding win at Kentucky, something they've not often done. Uh, knock off the Wildcats 85 to 65. Now, for those uh, casual Alabama basketball fans, maybe, uh, that don't keep up with every score in the book. Doesn't look like this is the typical dominant Kentucky team, at least not so far this season. Uh, they fall to four and seven on the year, something you certainly don't see much of uh, from Kentucky at this point in the season. Had a pretty bad run in non-conference play uh, against some high-quality teams, however. Uh, but then in SEC play, they were 3-0 and coming into this game at Rupp Arena against Alabama. And Travis, the Crimson Tide, just kind of ran away with it. A, a costly game for Alabama from an injury standpoint, but a big one nonetheless. Went into the game already without Javon Quinterly for a third straight game. Lost Herb Jones in the first half with what appears to be a finger-slash-hand injury. Remember a year ago, he had the left wrist that was a problem for him. Then in the second half, you lose Jordan Bruner. So you're down three starter types, although Quinterly had been coming off the bench of late. And you still go into Rupp Arena and win by 20. And look, give guys like John Petty. Not only was John Petty very productive in in terms of scoring 23 points for Petty, uh, but with ball handlers at a minimum, uh, at least in terms of just getting the ball up the four, Petty had to take on more of that in the game against Kentucky. You also saw uh, the freshman Josh Primo help out in that regard. He ends up with 12 points with much of his work coming there in the second half. But as we know, a lot of a lot of the games, it's going to go back to the three-point line for Alabama, and Alabama goes 14 of 30 from three. And if they make 14 threes against just about anybody, they're going to have a great chance. And conversely, uh, Kentucky goes four of 18 from three. But here's another stat, though, I think that was very telling in this game, watching the game. Alabama outscored Kentucky in the paint by 10. And so you might think that with the traditional advantage that Kentucky always seems to have in terms of size and length, that would work more towards Kentucky's favor. But Alabama off the dribble on Tuesday night, just absolutely time and time again, and they've done this to just about everybody of late, broke down Kentucky in one-on-one situations. And John Petty, his game has evolved primarily from a three-point shooting specialist early on in his career who struggled with turnovers uh, off the dribble and, and trying to attack the rim. He was effective doing it. Again, just about everybody on the floor for Alabama uh, was effective in getting to the rim once again on Tuesday night. And uh, uh, apparently the, the largest home loss of the Calipari era at Kentucky as Alabama wins by 20 in Oof. rough. Yeah. Cal, won't, Cal won't sleep so good tonight. <laughs> Cal said Cal said in the postgame, one of the Alabama players 
came up to him and asked him what the score was. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well. yeah. You see, you ever imagine somebody doing that to Adolf Rupp? You know? Yeah. I don't think so. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, he said one of the Alabama players came up and asked me what the score was at the end. He said, <laughs> "Might run into that squad again in the SEC tournament." Yeah, you know, but you you you, you do it while you can. You know, things are you hard. Win, you don't you don't win by twenty at Rupp every year. So uh, no, but I think it was seven different Alabama players with made threes in the game, including four five with multiples and you just like the way this team is playing right now man you can get into the statistical breakdowns and it it's getting to that point where it seems like they're living in the 80s against just about anybody they play but man i love the the connectivity that you see with this team defensively um you know they seem to 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 be aware and have each other's backs and every aspect of it you know i like seeing a team up I think it was 19 there and you're starting to bring walk-ons onto the floor, which was probably something else Cal couldn't believe was happening to him in his own building against Alabama. Here come the Alabama walk-ons up 19, but Alabama still winning 50, 50 balls up 19, yep. you know, and you know, Nate Oates absolutely loves that. Primo, Josh Primo with a couple of big plays down the stretch too. I thought Travis, he, the more I watch yeah. him play, the more I like his game. Uh, Alabama up, I want to say about 12 points with about five minutes to go. They put Primo on the line for a one-on-one. He sinks the front end and the back end. That's the kind of front end of a one-on-one that Alabama, especially at a place like Rupp Arena, would would traditionally clank uh, and maybe give up a three on the other end, and all of a sudden uh, you're in a dogfight before you know it. But Primo hits two big free throws there. He got to the cup and laid one in. Uh, on a contested play a couple minutes later that I thought was a big play as well. He came up big. And like you said, Petty uh, taking care of the basketball is, is was definitely a big problem for him, really his first two years uh, in the program. And uh, he seems to have cleaned that up. 38 minutes, only two turnovers for Petty on yeah. the night. So uh, you're getting a lot of contributions too from bench players. I guess when you lose – Jones and you lose Bruner, you kind of had to dip into that bench. Uh, but you saw uh, Jawan Gary with 13 minutes, James Rojas 19 minutes, Keon Ellis 18 minutes. So uh, digging down uh, in the pretty deep in the bench, and they got a lot of production. Yeah, and depending on what the the update is in the coming days with Herb and uh, Bruner, but especially with Herb. Uh, a lot of minutes for Shackelford, Primo, and Petty uh, against Kentucky. 38 minutes for Shackelford, 37 for Petty, 33 for Primo. Uh, and if Herb's going to be out for an extended period, uh, you got to think that's going to continue to be the case. But I, I like what this staff has done in sort of providing itself with some insurance uh, in the form of maturity in going JUCO. You know, the last couple of years, bringing in guys like Keon Ellis, James Rojas, you feel more comfortable, especially in situations like on the road at Kentucky, in knowing that, you know, these are juniors that you can go to for 18, 19 minutes like Alabama is able to do with those guys. Uh, and, you, and they give you some 
some, you know, they, they, they make you older uh, at some spots where you needed it. And so I think the recruiting approach also paying some dividends already for Nate Oates in these first couple of classes. That is going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. It's going to do it for uh, the football season, of course, as well. But, hey, we're going to be around talking Alabama basketball throughout the spring. Uh, So definitely keep an eye on some forthcoming podcasts in that regard. Alabama's next game coming up against Arkansas. That'll be in Tuscaloosa, aired by the SEC Network. That's uh, 2.30 p.m. tip-off Central Time. Uh, on Saturday against the Razorbacks. So uh, Travis and I will be around uh, once every uh, week to 10 days or so, breaking down Alabama basketball for the rest of the season. Looking forward to doing it, so be sure uh, to stay with the Talking Tide podcast uh, throughout the coming months. And that's going to do it for this edition. So for Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com, and Southern Fried Sports Radio. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television, and we will talk to you next time right here on Talking Tide.